Welcome to Movies Charles Hadn't Seen, episode 61. My name is Crossman. I'm Wilson. And I'm Charles. And this week we watched the 1957 movie 12 Angry Men. So Charles, tell us about it. There's a murder case, and they just finished the trial, and all the members of the jury are locked up in a room to make their decision. And in their initial vote, 11 of them vote guilty, and one of them votes not guilty. So they are all shocked because they think the evidence is all really obvious. But after a lot of deliberation, more and more of them believe that there is enough reasonable doubt that they switch over to not guilty. And over time, people reveal their biases and their reasons for wanting to vote guilty and all that. But eventually, they all switch over to not guilty, and they finish with that decision. Yeah, I mean, it, narratively, it's a pretty straightforward flick, right? Yeah. Like, you can sum it up almost in a sentence yeah. um, and and get the, the gist of it. It's very character-driven. It all takes place in one room. Um, it's based on a stage play, and you can tell. Like, it, yeah. it looks like a, a play. A teleplay, it's based a on. A teleplay, yes. <laughs> um, but it's been performed on stages many times. Um, so it, it has that look to it some of the time. But I still love this movie like I think it, it works over and over again um, this was my selection because I feel like I needed to complete your high school education Charles <laughs> <laughs> it is amazing to me that you somehow avoided this movie in high school I also avoided in high school I, I only saw this movie until a couple, the first time I saw it was like a year and a half two years ago okay did you I mean so you were out of school at that point you just watched it to watch it yeah yeah I just I, it was a hole in like my catalog huh. of movies and and your high school it. education. And your high school <laughs> education, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so what, what do you think of it, having watched it much more recently than I have for the it, first time? Um, this time around, it read very, like, Sorkin-esque to me. There's parts of that, yeah. It's uh, um, idealistic in a lot of ways. Yeah, very idealistic, a lot of speeches, a lot of, like, winning people over with mm-hmm. arguments. I mean, that's, like, the crux of the movie. It's, like, that's what being a juror is about. <laughs> yeah, be, being yeah. a juror. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I kind of find it annoying in, the, in that way. Um, I think Henry Fonda is great in it like really good performance by Fonda I find most of the other jurors to be kind of anonymous numbers and I, I was actually reading the wiki synopsis of this earlier and it was like number one says this and then number two and three vote this way and four yeah. and eight vote well, this they, way they don't yeah. get names and yeah it's like total just identified n- by their juror number yeah yeah the wiki recap of the movie is nonsense because of that <laughs> yeah um because uh, really, you have to identify them by like their job or something. Yeah, yeah or like yeah. the racist one. Yeah, exactly. Like the watchmaker. <laughs> yeah, and, and like so, yeah. all of them. <laughs> well, you know. It's a bunch of white guys. <laughs> yeah, because um, they're. I mean, they, they are helpfully seated in order, according in numerical order around the table, but still, like none of them are ever named. And you have they have to they swap around a lot and they so move around all the time. Yeah, so their like, votes and allegiances change. They're not always in order. Uh, so you kind of have to, the, the script has to do a lot of work characterizing these guys it, it, when you can't name them and can't really, don't have that much space to know that much about their background outside There's of like, a bit of their profession. Costume design. Yes, absolutely. Like there. They have Henry Fonda in like the white suit, you know, like the hero. They have like the ad guy in his black suit. They have the the the, the cop character the guy with his dopey hat yeah the guy with the hat <laughs> the, the uh being the, just like any guy you see wearing a hat like the, that <laughs> an amoral character yeah um so the the script has to do a lot of work like making sure you can tell these guys apart and really i having i've seen this movie many times but i remember never having any problem being able to say like this guy was is this guy like, well, I, I was never conflating them they do a good job of sticking with like a thread for each character 
Yeah. And most notably, I think the guy who's like concerned about his Yankees tickets. <laughs> like, yeah, he's really have... probably the worst of the bunch. That guy is terrible. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah than, other than the, the other than the racist, racist guy. guy. Other than the racist guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That guy is awful um, as <clears throat> a person. Yeah. But they do a good job of like keeping that through line yeah. for him, and that. I think that helps with all the characters that each of them have their like identified thing that they care about, and yeah. we can like track them that yeah. way. Yeah, I mean, and they're really they're they're simplified or they're characterized in very simple ways, right? Yeah, like, yeah. But like, you got you got twelve people, right? So you gotta. So you have to, yeah. Keep it simple. But it, they and I think that's a good choice, right? Like the yeah. ad guy is dumb, right? Like that's his whole character. <laughs> he is dumb. You have the the guy, the like the stockbroker character, who's really you know straight and narrow you know, clean-cut kind of guy, and that's his whole character, mm-hmm. right? Like, most of these guys aren't don't have that much dynamism to them, and they're really just kind of, it's, it, so it almost plays out like a morality play, mm-hmm. right? Like, where they're just st- almost standing in for concepts when they are standing in as as individuals. Um, and it, it, it's, I think it works in that respect, that that's an effective choice. Yeah, I feel like in a lot of movies I have trouble, you know, following dialogue or remembering characters or that kind of thing, but in this one I had no trouble at all. Yeah. Like, I mean, they're, they're pretty clear. It's not subtle or anything like that. Um, but, you know, I was captivated enough that, um, like, you know, I was drawn in immediately. Um, and, yeah, I was just along for the ride the whole time. Okay. So you liked it? Yeah, I liked it quite a bit, actually. Solid. <laughs> it's like, it didn't feel like um, it had that kind of distance to modern movies that a lot of mm-hmm. old movies have. It felt very modern in its, like, pacing and, like, the writing. Something yeah. about it. Yeah, well, this is the second uh, Sydney LeMay movie that we've watched. The other one is Network, um, which you may recall. And I think that there are, you, you can see a similar direction style here, right? Like, it's a pretty active camera in a pretty enclosed space. Um, he uses a lot of the same, uh, like, qu- like, he'll do quick cuts sometimes between conversations, but he uses it judiciously uh, in such a way that it stands out and makes sense. What a funny comparison movie. This a network? Yeah. <laughs> this, Say more. <laughs> well, this is like, I mean, network's a very dark movie. Yes. About like the failure of a major American media. institution. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. This is not right. And this is not. This is like a much more hopeful movie. But it, there's a 20 year gap, right? A 15 year gap between these films. Yeah, at least so. closer to 20, I think. But a significant gap between them. Yeah, yeah. significant. And it might just be like a young idealistic movie this versus is, like uh oh actually everything is fucked this is his <laughs> first feature this was this was sydney's first feature that's a hell of a first movie it is yeah he's a on. phenomenal director yeah like that's he, he yeah. started on the mountaintop and yeah this yeah. is because it, it was nominated for three oscars it didn't win any because it was nominated the same year as bridge over river Kwai, which is uh, like <laughs> a great movie but it's going to beat everything i haven't seen that one Either. You haven't either, though, right, Crossman? No. That's too bad. It's really good. Um, so it lost to that in like all three categories, I think. Mm-hmm. But it was a first-time directorial effort in a feature. He had several shorts before this. Um, and, yeah, it, it doesn't look like a first movie. I mean, budget-wise it does. <laughs> but every, every, other, every other respect, it does not. Yeah, it's actually a good movie to start on because it, yeah. like, it, it is a play yeah. more, than, more than it is a movie. But yes. So I think that's a good place to start for like a young director. Yeah, and, but it does. I think there's there are stagey, uh, especially in this era, stagey movies that look stagey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, where they just like situate the camera. Double Indemnity is a good example of that. Yeah, I don't. We, we I mean, just I mean, watched that recently. Like you can yeah. tell when you're on a set. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. My Fair Lady, I think, is another yeah. one that the Academy loved that looks just like they shot the play, right? Mm-hmm. Things like that, and. 
this one, I think that he's actively fighting against that, right? Like the, I was, I was looking for it specifically in this viewing, and I think that he is making a lot of choices that are more challenging cinematically, so that it's not just a play on screen. I, right? I noticed a decent amount of playfulness with the camera yes. throughout the movie. Yeah, uh, like he, like the, the scene when Henry Fonda is like walking around the table as the old man, right? Like there's a way to shoot that in a much less interesting fashion that, that Lumet did not do, yeah. right? And it, the technique that he uses throughout, because he, throughout the movie where he starts high, like he starts at a pretty high angle and he shows the space of this room, the space of all these men and gradually as the movie progresses, the camera comes lower until we're looking up at a low angle and the men are drawn together, the camera zoomed in a little bit closer, suggesting claustrophobia, uh, heightening of tension, the heat yeah. literally rising in the room. And I think that that's a technique that you can't really replicate on a stage that is specifically cinematic. And it's good to see him not just like take the easy route. And you see that in his later films that he is actually a film director and yeah. not just a stage director that has a camera. Yeah, he does other stuff to bring in like the environment outside, like the mm -hmm. rain, and if I recall correctly, it's like really hot in yes. the room, and they're yes. all like sweating, sweating. Except the one guy who isn't until he is. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and it, it's it opens up the world a lot. I yeah, think. just like the little things like that. Even the references to like the crime scenes and yeah, he was walking through the neighborhood, and he yeah. happened to be where this kid was, and. This guy has plans in a few hours to go uptown to see the Yankees. Yeah, the Yan yeah, the Yankees thing. All all that references that, to like a larger train. world is the, like, yeah. is good. Yeah, the, so it must be the L train that ran through. That is now the Highland, right? That's got to be what they're talking about. Maybe right because the only L elevated train that's currently still in the city is in Queens, and the Bronx. And if this murder happened in Queens or the Bronx, it wouldn't be in New York County, which is where they were. Oh. So this right. they must. So this crime must have happened like on the west side, probably like, in like Hell's Kitchen. Probably or in like Hell's Kitchen. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Because um, they were they were in like that 60 Center Street, the, the framing shot at the beginning. That's still the New York County courthouse, and that must have been where they were. So it, it had to have been like in that. Wait, did they actually film in that building? Or I don't think so. But this this establishing shot they is just put like a little backdrop outside the window. Yeah, yeah. They weren't actually in the building, but the establishing okay. shot is of that building, and it looks the same. And the same when they're leaving at the end of the movie. That's the actual staircase. Nice. Yeah, you can you can tell. Um, so yeah, it must have been like over on the west side, Hell's Kitchen area. Yeah, yeah. almost like a rear window. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sort of the same era and. Almost the same neighborhood. So yeah, it's a similar environment. Yeah. Yeah. This is like what happens after Rear Window. Right? <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah. Right. Similar era. <laughs> um, has, this this you, is the trial. This yeah. is the, yeah, they, they found the Rear Window trial. <laughs> yeah. You really screwed this one up. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, have either of you ever served on a jury? No. I, nope. I got called, called to in. duty and sat in a room for eight hours and then went home. Yeah, I told I, I was called in, in Kings County, I was called, and I told them that I wouldn't believe a police officer's testimony, and they let me go. <laughs> and that was... Uh, that I was didn't even get interviewed, so I just looked on my phone all day. Really? Yeah. Wow, that's a bummer. That makes even a boring day even more boring. It was pretty brutal, yeah. Yeah. And it, we, you were you were called pretty recently, right? Remember? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, they asked if I could accept the defendant's innocence, and... 
I said no and they let me out. <laughs> why, why couldn't you accept the defendant's innocence? I kind of wanted to go home. <laughs> it's like they, they swear you in first, you lied? You were one of these guys. <laughs> yes, yes, you were. I guess. <laughs> That's perjury. Well, like, and now it's recorded. I, I wasn't lying. I mean, I was. I'll, being I'll edit it out for you, Charles. <laughs> yeah, you better. That's, we're gonna have to turn that over. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's funny. I, I wanted to serve, like, I, I, because they swore us in first and made sure that we told the truth. I and it was a, it was a criminal trial. I wanted a criminal trial, um, and they asked if there was anything that would prevent me from being impartial or something, and. I had to tell them. I was like, yeah, if any cop testifies, I'm probably going to assume they're, they're not telling the truth. And then they sent me home after that, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, so what, because for me, this this is, uh, this movie is almost a civics lesson, mm -hmm. right? Like, you, you can just kind of go through the beats of, like, this is what reasonable doubt means. This is what a jury is supposed to do. Sonia Sotomayor says the reason she pursued law. Mm. Oh, she has, she has a couple anecdotes about this one. Because um, yeah. she, she said that, and she also was introducing this movie at, uh, I think, a Fordham Law film festival. Yeah. Like a law-themed film festival, I guess. And <laughs> she was talking Fordham's about... Fordham's a known law school, though. So, yes. Or pre-law. Well, no, no, it's a law and school. And law, yeah. yeah. Um, so she was introducing it there, and she mentioned that when she was a trial judge in the lower court before she was Supreme Court, obviously, when she was giving jury instructions, and jury instructions are usually much more elaborate than they are in this movie. When she's giving jury instructions, she would have to, or she felt like she had to tell jurors not to do what the jurors did in this movie. <laughs> like there's, Don't try to be the lawyer? Yeah, well that, um, don't, there's a ton of speculation in this movie that she tells them to not engage in. The, the thing with the knife. They create a lot of evidence yeah, in, the juries, yeah. in the jurors room. <laughs> yeah, the thing where he like whips out the knife like that is yeah. like a huge no-no. Um, he goes, like the one juror actually goes to the scene of the crime or near the scene of the crime, like do his own investigation. You're not supposed to do that either. Like there's all sorts of things that are introduced in this movie that <laughs> Technically speaking, a jury is not supposed to engage in, but a jury room is essentially a sealed space. The, you're never supposed to consider what a jury actually does. The most egregious one, which I thought was funny because the plot of the movie turns on it, was the woman in the box who like had glasses marks yep. on her face. Yeah. It was like, damn, like, there's the smallest detail and you're hinging like the case on this. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, it's yeah. kind of... I mean, you can, you can get into a pretty deep conversation about the philosophy of law and what jurors are actual, actually for. Yeah. Like, both with that point, specifically in this movie in general, because when juries were originally conceived in old England, you one of the selling points was that every, like all these trials are going to happen in tiny little villages where everybody knows everybody. So the people that are judging you know you personally. And that's supposed to be a good thing, right? That, that they know the kind wow. of person you are. They know what you normally do. They know <laughs> what your routine is. Like that, you, they're so close to you, like both literally and, and you know, yeah. socially. It's supposed to be one of the, what, what makes a jury more legitimate. And yeah. now we, we go in the opposite direction, right? We say that a jury is not supposed to know you at all. They're supposed to be as far removed from the, ev from the evidence and from the people involved yeah. and from the event as possible. We're, it, it, we're, we're taking this in the complete other direction. Mm -hmm. And I think that that point kind of raises that, right? That if they knew this person, they would know if she wore glasses or not. They would know if she were nearsighted or farsighted. They would know all sorts of stuff about her. And because we have 
moved, for better or worse, moved so far away from the original justification for the jury system, none of that is to be considered. And now that is a gross speculation and improper. Well, it'd be on the part of the defense to say, like... Right. Yeah, he was like, a you, lawyer. You'd have to raise... You'd have to raise doubt about the witness right. as a lawyer. It's right. the job of the lawyer to do what they did. Right, and, and the movie... The, defendant, uh, yeah. the defending lawyers failed here. Right, that, and they raised yeah. that point, that the, the, the criminal defense attorney here was not really that invested in the case. Yeah. Which, Which is totally normal. Yeah, probably true. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like that, that, is, that is accurate. Yeah. Um, but it, it, it nonetheless raises this idea of whether or not the subjectivity built into the jury system when you just pick out 12 random people that can't figure out how to get out of jury duty, is that a feature or a bug? <laughs> right, like, is that something we want? Do we want people to like bring their own subjectivity to the case? Is jury nullification justified sometimes? Should we know that juries are bringing some kind of their own personal experience and their own perspective to bear and and use that, right, and have that be a part of the justice system? Maybe. I don't know, but I, I think that the idea that there's a lot of speculation here and therefore the movie is flawed or therefore they reach the wrong conclusion is not really that cut and dry. Like, well, I mean, the major thing that stood out to me was the notion of like jury and peers. Yeah. Where it's like, here's just like a older, bunch of like older white guys. <laughs> right. Which seems yes. good but is important also to the or seems bad but is also important <laughs> to the plot yeah it is, yeah, yeah it is relevant and but yeah. this is in the 50s and when white the definition of white was narrower right because the you get a it, it like it expands yeah. and contracts right <laughs> yeah. and you get a shot of the defendant at the beginning of the movie and they never state his ethnicity but he looks don't they say his name I forget. I'm not sure. Actually. There's like implications that he's like not white. Right, right. he's not. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's not white. He, and he doesn't look white, but he looks like some sort of Italian or some sort of Southern European, right? Like he has an, he has an olive skin tone, right? And in the remake, there's a, a color remake that was made in the 90s starring Jack Lemmon, the defendant is very clearly Hispanic. Mm. Um, and there are Hispanic people in the jury. In this movie, I think that some of the people in the jury are meant to be coded as European immigrants and, like, yeah. not quite white European immigrants. And one of them well, said he grew up in the slums and he looked a little Italian, I guess? Yeah, he was written to be Italian. Yeah. Um, the guy who played him was not. Okay. Yeah. Um, and same thing with the watchmaker. Like, he looked, he was clearly an immigrant. He had an accent. He is, sounded French or Swiss or something. Yeah. He's probably Swiss. He's a watchmaker. He's a watchmaker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, so... We today would look at that group of guys and say, look, at it's a bunch of white guys. But I think at the time, it wasn't so clear that they were all actually white. Right? This is 50s diversity. This is Yeah, this is what 50s whiteness looks like. Oh, man. Um, and I think that we need to keep that in mind in terms of what the director and the studio intended when they cast these people and put, put on this show. Yeah. Because right? I don't think they intended it for, be, to, for it to be 12 white men, just 12 men. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's just like a lot of distance, so it's like hard not to yeah, of course. see it that way. Of course. Yeah. Um, and and it, the remake is interesting in the other sense because the... I haven't seen the remake. It's actually, it holds up. It's pretty good. It has a more notable cast. Like Edward James Almost is in it. Um, James Gandolfini is in it. Jack Lemmon plays the um, the, the lead. Uh, this one, 
I saw a trailer for it and it looked terrible, but maybe that's just because it's like 90s style trailers. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's, it's cheaply made. I think it might have even been a TV movie, but it, it it's still just a good script and it works. And it, they cast James Gandolfini and Jack Lemmon. Looking at so. the cast, there's only two actors I recognize in this, in this film. Well, Lee J. Cobb and... No, Henry Fonda and um, Ed Beagley Sr. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, Lee, Lee J. Cobb is... No, yeah, I'm not sure. He's the other, the juror number three or four, the... One, the last one to turn around. Um, he was in On the Waterfront, um, which you may not have seen. No. Okay. Uh, he was in The Exorcist. I have seen that. Okay, but that was much later on. Was so he the was, priest in that? Yes. I okay. Think so, but it was much later on in his life. So, yes. gotcha. I feel like I recognize the uh, lead juror, the guy who was leading the meeting. Yeah, that's Ed Bagley. Um, he okay. was in Network, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, so I that, think I looked up and he was in All the President's Men as one of the really old no, news reporters. Yeah, that's not Beakley. That's that's Martin Balsam. Yeah. Okay. And that yeah, that, that is where you recognize him from. I was confused. You are correct. Um, but yeah, so he's notable as well. There's a handful. I think he got nominated for an Oscar for something at some point in his career. Maybe. <laughs> uh, but Lee J. Cobb is notable um, as well. And I think he's phenomenal here. Like. Yes. Wait, sorry, which one was Lee Jacob? The last one to turn that had the song. The, the angry one. The really angry one. The, the actually angry <laughs> the one. The racist one? Yes. No, the, the, uh, the racist one. No, he turns around earlier. There, well, there are several racist ones. <laughs> well, yeah. Well, I mean, we can assume so, they're all racist. The, the <laughs> yeah. one that's... Uh, Safely assume that they're all racist. racist yeah. yeah, that gives like a speech about how he's racist. Yeah. Not him. The one that's yeah. angry and like yeah. is the last one to the change one his The one with his son. Yes. That guy. Yeah. I, I like Lee Jacob a lot in this movie. I think he was he was excellent. Um, I think that yeah. that speech gets me every time. I think like it it, it is resonant uh, for me. Um, so yeah, I like that performance a lot, uh, and I, I think it stands out next to next to Henry Fonda, who's really the, the easily the biggest name in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Henry Fonda for sure. <laughs> yeah, by a wide margin. Yeah. yeah. Um, have you you've seen any? Have you seen him in anything else? In I'm not sure if I have. Okay. I mean, I recognize the Fonda name, of course, but I, I can't remember if I've seen anything he's been in. Yeah, uh, he did this um, Once Upon a Time in the West, where he played the villain. He was in On Golden Pond, uh, yeah. and most famously, uh, Grapes of Wrath. He was he was Tom Jordan. I might have seen clips of Grapes of Wrath in school at some point, but I don't okay. really remember. I also saw that one in school. Have you seen Grapes of Wrath? Yes, I have. I've also yeah. read the book. I've also read the book, too. It's good. Yeah, we did the book. Yeah. I don't remember if we saw clips of the movie. I don't remember anything about it. Okay. Well, that's another one we can put on the list, because <laughs> Grips are asked. It's a good flick. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. It's uh, that was also a Best Picture winner, right? Should have been. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah. I don't know, but it, it feels like it was. It, I mean, it feels like the type of movie that would win. I, it might right. be. Yeah. I, th- I think it's a Best Picture winner. Yeah, I believe you. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the performances were pretty strong all around here. There was maybe one character that I thought was maybe a little iffy, the the like nerdy and timid dude. The the bank manager or bank teller? I don't remember the, what his job was, but he two. was always like yeah, weirdly cheerful. Yeah. And like and, easily cowed by the and it stood out. And a yeah, little bit. a very high pitched voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean he's supposed to be the kind of weak dude, right? So, yeah. And that was all on purpose, but his characterization felt a little cheesy. But the rest of the people all like I felt like they had pretty good performances. Yeah, I mean, right. you're shooting 92% then. You know. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah not too bad. Um, and, I mean, the interesting, or one of the interesting things about that guy is that he, he looks like the weak character, but he's not, right? Because he manages to stand up for himself several times. He sticks to his guns when he's persuaded. Yeah. The weak character is during number 12, right? The ad man who flip-flops. So the, and, yeah, the waffler. Yeah, he's, yeah. The, he's the waffler. That's the weak character, right? The one that can't make up his own mind. He doesn't really have a perspective to share with anybody. He, he's he, he's the one that's kind of the 
the most fungible. Um, so that uh, well, would the hat guy be a weak character since he? I think he doesn't really a, have any like. I think he's an amoral character. Okay. And, and he literally is only concerned with what will get him out of that room as quickly as possible, and he changes his vote. This is the Yankees tickets because he has the Yankees tickets, and that's all he cares about. I love, I love the moment when he switches his vote, and the watchmaker dude yes. like gets really mad at him. Yes, that was a great moment. Yeah, the, the, that's um, Edward James almost in the remake, um, yeah. and he also kills it. Um, isn't there also an Orioles fan in the group? Yes, if I recall there's a Baltimorean. The, yeah, 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 and he says he's an Orioles fan, and he like, oh. and then the Yankees fan like brings it up like seven times after that. Well, I mean, it's <laughs> that's the whole thing. Yeah, at least competition. So. Yeah, I guess. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he was the guy that also grew up in the slums, and he was able to talk about the switchblade and and all that. Um, yeah. That's that's more of a knowing your neighbor sort of thing, right? He knows how to use a switchblade. He knows how it would be used. Yeah, yeah. which it, I guess calls back to the same critique that we have with the eyeglasses thing, right? That's like he's bringing in this outside information. Is that legitimate? Is it not? Who yeah. knows? Yeah. Um, so one thing I want to talk about is the the since we've raced it a couple times now is the the racist rhetoric in this movie yeah. and how it has not changed at all. Right, like that, they could you could lift the speech that that guy gave, and apply it to the minority du jour at basically any point in American history. Yeah. He never specifies what Unchanged. the minority is. Right, right. He just he's always talking about them, the those people. You know how they are, and like all of the specific things that he says, that he accuses them of, are exactly what you hear about. You know, Muslim people, Hispanic people today, black people. I mean, just na- yeah. Irish people before him. Right, just pick your target, and like it is the same, the same yep. rhetoric. Um, and I thought that that was a, a good choice um, to just not specify that yeah, this is a Italian or whoever um, that that committed the crime. Well, I think um, since we're the day after the Oscars That's and true. Shape of Water won, I think one of the things that Shape of Water did well was that it it showed people from a number of oppressed groups and shit and I, I think the underlying message there is just that like you know all, all forms of oppression like have this like underlying thread there's like a commonality to oppression mm-hmm. and so by by bringing this group together we you know we're able to like sort of highlight that and I think we see that here as yeah. well um, so for 1957 that's like pretty progressive yeah and I think yeah. we're, we're again raising the question of whether or not we should grade this movie on a curve because it is quite liberal. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in that sense, it yes, it is actually progressive. And they respond correctly to racism, I think, right? Because when they ignore it for a while, that's probably not the right answer. But when they do actually, when, they, when the guy really does demand a response from them, when he gives his big speech at the end, they don't explain to him why he's wrong. They don't tell. They don't debate his points with him. They don't ask him to it, it, support it with evidence. Yeah. They get up. They turn around. They refuse to speak to him. They tell him to sit down and not to open his mouth again. Right. Like they're he, not. They, they take yeah. away his voice because they're not mm-hmm. listening to doesn't him. Doesn't he like pout after that? He goes into the corner and he doesn't have another line. He doesn't yeah. have another line in the movie. Or he might like resignedly yeah. say not guilty. Yeah, I think yeah he might get that, but that's it. Like the, at the yeah. very very end. Yeah, he's done. Um, resignedly. <laughs> I knew he <what> meant <laughs> with resigned <laughs> uh, in a resigned manner. Yes, yes. <laughs> sure. you get what I mean. <laughs> that's it. Uh, but yeah, I think that that is really because when you start engaging these people on the merits of their arguments, you're 
acknowledging their argument as something that may have merit. Yeah. And it doesn't, right? Mm -hmm. Like, this is absurd out of hand, and we should be treating it like that. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly what they do in this movie. They don't say, like, oh, no, I know plenty of people that are good and decent, or you can't talk to about them that way. They say, no, you sit down, you don't get to talk anymore, and that's that. Yeah, which actually makes it a little, I mean, I slurred this movie by calling it Sorkin-esque earlier, <laughs> but I think that does make it better than... A sort of like Sorkin style dramedy. Yes. Um, well, wait. So, what's bad about being Sorkin esque? Because, like, you go ahead. You, you, I know you, there's lots of you, Sorkin fans out there. Yeah, you grind the sax a lot more than I do. So, go ahead. Yeah, I think um, like Sorkin style things sort of like believe in the like the virtue of the argument that like we present both sides equally and then. We, you know, hash it out in a, in a fashion just like in this movie. And, you know, the best ideas win and we, we go mm. with the best ideas. And the, the problem with that is that it, um, it's, it's like a very centrist notion because you're, you're giving people, e even if they, uh, you know, it, it's what the news does all the time where they have like one person that's like, you know, against global warming and one person that doesn't believe in it and by like making them seem equal like you yeah you raise up the side that is ridiculous and and wrong yeah. uh well, and, this, and, this, and this is true of like all sorkin things that like you, you have people with like slightly different viewpoints and there's something like virtuous and good about their argument and yeah, <laughs> it stops being yeah. about the subject and starts being about the it, argument. It's a celebration right. of like debate and rhetoric. Okay. Yeah, I, I never associated that with Sorkin. I just thought he was all about like the kind of rapid fire dialogue exchanges and that kind of. But thing. but it it's to like hash out these kind of like opposing viewpoints yeah. and uh, it, it's all about like um, that like when you when you slay somebody verbally then you you've won and, and you're more like moral and, and virtuous. Sure. Well, uh, and correct. And correct. That's, that's and correct. Yeah, by by being smarter and like slaying somebody virtually or verbally, then you're you are you win. Although not even and, not even like smarter is too generous. Like being more clever. Yeah. Right. Like that's what it's about. It's yeah. about like well your, spoken or witty. Yes, exactly. And like yeah. that. And if you can deliver so, your argument in a way that is that's yeah. gonna like get them, then your argument is better. Yeah. And it, and that it's, removes the focus from the subject itself and turns it towards yeah. the individual. So it's really a very selfish mode of understanding it's, politics. It's the entire basis of The Daily Show. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. by, by it's like showing a clip of somebody saying one thing and then showing a clip of them saying the exact opposite thing, you've, you've therefore slayed them and they have, like, lost their power. Whereas, like, we know in reality that, like, Mitch McConnell, who's a common target of The Daily Show... He'll he'll say something when Obama's president, and say something the opposite when Trump's president, and the Daily Show will catch him, and it doesn't matter because he's still like the Senate mm -hmm. Majority Leader and is still one of the most powerful men in the world. So, yeah. Like, it, but but if you're in Sorkin's world, like that's it. Once he's like you're seen one. that video, he like melts and he's like, yeah. "No, you slayed me verbally." <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. And then really, yeah. that's the strongest argument argument yeah. against it is that it doesn't work. Uh -huh. Right, it just doesn't work. Um, and yeah, because you're assuming you're expecting people to have shame about what they've said, and if they just don't have shame, then you can't like get like they're it's they're immune. Yeah, they're immune to it. It's not kryptonite, which Sorkin believes. Yeah, and I think uh, that this this movie behaves yeah. similarly but differently in important ways. Um, yes, that the the scene that we just discussed about like how they treat the you know most overtly racist member of the jury. But also just that it's set in a jury room, right? And like here is this space that is meant for exactly what Sorkin thinks everything is meant for. 
which is you know debate and exchanging ideas and actually you know putting forward those ideas in the in the crucible of of open dialogue and that's what you're supposed to be doing in a jury room and this and that this movie kind of subverts what's supposed to happen in a jury room in that Henry Fonda brings in the knife that he's really not supposed to do at all that he's crawling around in the at, on the crime scene which you're not supposed to do at all they're speculating yeah. about these things like <laughs> that they, they break the rules all the time suggests that really the the boundaries of the debate and the boundaries of what is appropriate and rhetoric in a, a jury trial whatever should be pushed and it is it is correct and perhaps even just to not follow these rules all the time, and that's one of the benefits of being on a jury and yeah. having a jury system, is yeah. that they can break the rules, and because we don't know what's going on in there, they get away with it, and maybe that's fine, right? And I think that, that, that that's a, a, a message not often talked about about this movie, but I think it's definitely there um, and, and, and relevant. Yeah. The reason I still think it's Sorkin-esque, though, is that, like, the movie definitely does believe in, like, sort of the power of, like, debate. And yeah, ar- yeah, argument is, like, movie. a virtuous yeah, thing. Yeah, and, and it's it's an inspirational Which, movie, right? Yeah. I, I, don't, I don't read The West Wing necessarily as something aspirational. It's more, uh, like... What are you talking writing. about? That music at the beginning? The <laughs> right. No, the, no, but it's not the, about, you can be this good. It's yeah. about, I'm this much better than you. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? And I think that... 12 Angry Men is saying, yes, you can be thoughtful, too. You can be like your your number eight. Take that for what it it is. But that is different than Sorkin saying, like, we need to identify the best of us, not you, me, and I need to make decisions. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like, the movie deserves more credit. Um, It's better than a Sorkin (laughs) document. Yeah. But, But it's still, like... Like I'm saying, like has this like very liberal notion. Of, yes, it does. Of, it's it's a debate club movie. Like yeah, it, it, it really it literally <laughs> it is. Yeah. and and I think that we need to take that accept that for what it is. And if this is if this is all you know about the legal system or about politics, then your understanding of both of those things is deficient, clearly. <laughs> but I think it still is a good is good cinema and has a relevant and worthwhile things to say about. And it takes like a potentially dark and realistic view of the judicial system because yeah. if this what every case has to go through mm-hmm. we're not getting to this conclusion yeah. in every single case Seriously. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like how much do you need to prosecute an actual murder if you like have the actual murderer right right well you need i mean i think For, that's something the the movie races over and over again is, is what reasonable doubt actually means yeah right and that is such a another fungible term right like there's yeah. the the legal language is full of this shit. What is a reasonable person? What is what is uh, beyond reason, uh, reasonable doubt? What is probable cause, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that we present these maldefined or simply undefined terms to a jury and say, you decide. And that necessarily gets us uneven decisions because it's 12 different people every time where they're going to have different ideas of what reasonable is. But again, Plus, like alternates, right? That have to. Right. Don't, don't alternates like sit in on? The, uh, so the if it's a twelve in New York, if it's a twelve-person yeah. jury, it's really a fourteen-person jury. Yeah, because there's and the the two alternates will be there really in case someone gets sick, or like is in a car crash or whatever. Yeah, and then they'll step into the jury room. It once the if there is no alternate that steps in during the course of the trial, once the twelve of them enter the jury room, that that's it. The alternates are excused and never called back, even if something happens during 
the deliberations. Interesting. Um, and the reason for that is that there are things that happen during the deliberations that if you miss the first half of it, you will have a skewed, yeah. you know, tamp uh, contaminated view. It's, it, it's interesting um, thinking about the audience for this movie in 57 and the audience today. Because mm -hmm. now, like, 50% of television is, like, investigation, cop yeah. investigation dramas. Yeah. Maybe higher. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, I, I, I wonder what the literacy of your average juror is maybe a lot higher than 57, but maybe their expectations are wildly off because yes. of like, yeah. TV. You get the dramatized version. Yeah. Yeah. Prosecutors complain about this all the time, yeah. actually. Not just TV, but, uh, like there's so many, you know, making murder and mm -hmm. like podcasts and. Yeah, know, true crime. True, true crime, yeah, is yeah. like one of the most popular genres like right now. And yeah. uh, everyone is their own like little detective when it comes <laughs> to stuff like this. And, yeah. You know, you can have like very intense arguments about the evidence presented in uh, Making a Murderer or The Jinx or whatever. Yep. So, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I wonder how that influences jury instructions because the jury instructions are actually a, usually a very litigated topic like what the judge is going to be saying to the jury in terms of how they should be guided in their decision making it's usually it, it can go on for days and days like deciding what is going to be in there and then it can take a, much more than the you know minute that this judge gave explaining what happened to these guys mm -hmm. so i wonder how much how often jury instructions say things like this is not like csi <laughs> right <laughs> or like would the would, this does not work the way that you see it in SVU or whatever in the OJ doc it was yeah. interesting because they they talked about they, they talked with the prosecutor and, and she mm, was like nobody knew what DNA was at the time yeah. so we had to have like <laughs> Dang. three days of like explaining what DNA was and how it worked and how the the blood of the crime scene like meant that OJ here's, was biology 101 in the middle so of so hard to imagine yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah I'm sure it was a nightmare yeah and it wasn't that long ago Right, like that was that twenty was years. Ninety-four, right? Oh, Little five, yeah. yeah, right around there. And so, yeah, like DNA, like was just hitting culture. Like I don't think Jurassic Park could come out. So, yeah, Jurassic yeah. Park was ninety-six, right? Something like Something that. Like yeah. That. yeah. So, yeah, and that that was like the first like pop culture reference to DNA. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, and that, yeah, and that probably would have if this crime happens today, like. You, you probably get a, a different, a different case, substantially different case, in terms of the DNA evidence and on and on and on. Yeah. Um, one thing I did note in this viewing, uh, changing gears a little bit, is how frequently the the lead J cop character, the big, the angry one, um, would talk about how he, he's just worried about the facts. He's just worried about what's logical. He doesn't want to let, it let feelings and emotion influence what's going on, and then is over, over and over again, the most emotional man in the room, and. <laughs> right. Yeah. Perfect definition of libertarianism. Yes, right? that's exactly what I was thinking about. Like, this is a Trump voter. This is the the internet conservative. Right. It, it, it's yeah. it's these these guys. The that facts don't care about your feelings. Logic. Yeah. Right. That that think feelings yeah. don't matter. Yeah. And that they are immune to them. Right. That they don't they don't feel. Um, and what I think is even more confounding about that is that this guy's primary drive towards wanting to convict was retribution, right? He, he wasn't concerned about uh, 
detainment, about like taking this guy out of society. He was not concerned about deterring others from committing this crime. He was not concerned about teaching society a lesson or teaching this guy a lesson. He was concerned with specifically enacting pain and suffering on this guy to get back at him for what he did. Mm -hmm. And that's such an emotionally driven yeah. justification for what's going on, right? And he never mentions any other justification, right? And I thought that was, it, it, you could have transported that character to the modern day and he would have made total sense. It would have been totally coherent because you see guys like that all the time that, that refuse to acknowledge their own emotionality while at the same time making every appeal to emotion. And also, like, once you've made up your mind how, how difficult it is to yeah. to change it. Yeah, yeah. And the, the movie is kinder to this guy in that they give him this son that is, like, kind of explains why he's behaving this way. Yeah. When I think that the way this guy would play out in real life is that he's just angry and racist. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and they give him a, a moment of redemption at the end. They did. It's oddly forgiving for him. Yeah, which is sweet. And I think that Lee J. Dobb finds something in there that... Um, makes the character a little bit more dynamic than most of the guys in that room. Uh, but that character rang the, the most true and full to me. Like, he, he's the one that read as the most realistic human being. I guess that was the unrealistic part, that he actually kind of snaps out of it and yeah. realizes what he's doing. Yeah. yeah. That he, never happens. He does get this, there's this great moment where he real, like halfway through the movie where he realizes he had contradicted himself. <laughs> Where he said, he's an old man, you can't listen to anything that he has to say. And like, just right there, and you can he, see he it on his face. He pauses for yeah, like, like three seconds. He cringes and like, you can see him realize that he has, there's no he way goofed. out. He <laughs> contradicted himself. And that's, that was a great moment. That was really nice. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I mean, I, I found like the, the texture of that character much, much more um, compelling and timely than I had in prior viewings uh, of this movie. Like, yeah. I don't know. Were there any particular characters that stood out other than the ones that we we mentioned? There, there are so many people in this movie, and so many different uh, personalities, or at least tropes. I thought it was funny that the stockbroker dude kind of looked like a side Bond villain to me. <laughs> so that was a little distracting to me the whole time. <laughs> Blowfield bite. Yeah, it's like one of the ones that the main Bond villain sends to try to kill Bond midway through the movie or something like that. They often have the hitman who's like wearing glasses and very unemotional. Yeah. And so he kind of reminded me of that. Yeah. The cousin in The Wire. <laughs> right. I haven't seen The Wire. So. That's, that's uh, a damn shame. There's a that character trip in The Wire. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, I thought it was interesting that like those two, the jurors three and four um, can kind of like almost stand in for modern conservatism where you have the stockbroker character that like writes for National Review and you have the angry guy who like, you know, yells expletives on Twitter, right? And like, and like these are the two prongs of what the modern GOP and conservative thought look like and like how they support and reinforce one another despite being so drastically different in their, in their mannerisms and their, what they say they value. Um, and I think that that, you know, toxic symbiotic relationship was was present here uh, on this viewing. Well, I mean, the the glasses dude seemed much more willing to accept new information and change his view. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's it, it's not a one to one comparison, but he was still like very resistant to really pretty persuasive evidence up until that point. Right? Yeah. Although I feel like he was very quiet for most of the beginning of the movie. It, he didn't really talk that much until the end when they're really grilling him specifically to try to turn him. Yeah, he, he, well, he had really sh short, like, to the point lines, right? Like, he was really mm -hmm. crisp about it. Like, he wasn't going to be verbose. He was going to, he doesn't right. need to do that, that was kind his of character. Stuff. Right, yeah. Yeah. That's that's how I read him. Um, in any event, do we have any uh, 
any closing thoughts on on 12 Angry Men? Well, I enjoyed it quite a bit. I'm very okay. glad to have seen it. Do you get your very, high school diploma now? entertaining, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that must be degree. gratifying. Um, well, you were, you were, seemed like you were waffling a little bit more, Crossman. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a classic. It's watchable. I, Yeah, I mean, I'd say to my points about the very liberal nature of this movie. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's fine. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's still just good cinema. Like, I, I like watching it as a movie. Um, I think that the the politics of it are there are problems, but if you understand it from where it's coming from, I think that there's worthwhile things to be gained from it. Yeah. Um, but still, just like as a piece of of well a well made movie um, with really solid performances throughout, for me, um, I think it's worthwhile. Yeah. If you want to learn how to write characters, yeah. You watch this. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. Like this is a writing lesson. This is a directing lesson. It's yeah. it's not really just a movie making lesson. Yeah, I think that's movie. why it's such a touchstone film. Yeah. Well, and so, so it's accessible. a film school film. It's so accessible in that way, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's really easy to break this down into a lesson um, in, on, yeah. in many areas, like in civics and filmmaking and acting and writing, whatever, um, and use this as a, a teaching tool. Uh, before we move on, there's one one thing I was wondering about. He always had these really close-up shots of the really old guy's face. Yes, he did. And that was a little off-putting to me. Yeah. I'm I, wondering what effect they, they wanted to achieve with that, if any, or if it was just like... Well, how did you feel when you saw it? How did it play for you, I guess? It was a little uncomfortable. Okay. You're like zoomed right up close to this old guy's face and his nose is like sticking out of the screen at you. Yeah. I mean, because the one I remember most clearly is when he's, I think he's talking about the glasses, right? And you get this really kind of almost a smash cut to that, to like him a little bit low angle, very close to his face. And he hasn't said anything for a really long time. Like that's the first time we hear anything from that guy in a while. So... For me, it it draws to mind like how we tend to ignore the elderly, right? Until and but they have useful, insightful, unique things to say because he's the one that's drawing out these little points and ways that other people aren't. Um, so I think that that's the effect that like mm-hmm. the 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 jarring nature of these people that we tend to ignore when they have something that we all of a sudden consider useful. Um, but I agree that I, I it it stands out those cuts and those close-ups, yeah. Anyway, um, we'll be back in a moment for things we've seen this week and next week's movie, so stay tuned. And we're back with things we've seen. Uh, And this week we wanted to talk a bit about the Oscars, because they just happened the day before today. Awards don't always matter, uh, particularly Golden Globes. uh, But (laughs) Oscars Oscars have a little more legitimacy. Yeah, I think some interesting things won and didn't win. I mean, let's just start with the big one. Like, nobody thought Shape Water was going to win. I I was shocked. I had said in our year-end episode that I really like this film. Yeah, I think we all agreed. And... To have it win is very surprising. Um, I I put my thoughts on the nominations in our group chat yes. ahead of time, and I was very heavy on Dunkirk. Uh, reason being, Dunkirk is a, a World War II drama. That alone is like <laughs> yeah, you would like, think it would win. Yeah, all the World War II stuff like always like crushes. Except for except when unless crashes up, right? Unless yeah. crashes up. But everybody, it was like the favorite to win. Yeah, as yeah, much as I love Dunkirk, it didn't feel like something that the Academy would choose for Best Picture. Oh, really? Yeah, it doesn't have like those kind of overt emotional themes. It has a little bit of that, but I, not as much as like Saving Private Ryan had. I thought for sure it was going to yeah. crush. Hey, yeah, I thought uh, it was. I thought, wait, and Saving Private Ryan didn't win either. <laughs> no, it didn't. Yeah, there were, there the, <laughs> the <laughs> there, there were all the articles about... Um, how the Academy was kind of rejecting Get Out yeah. and felt like they were being forced to vote for it because mm-hmm. 
they're racist because yeah. they are. Uh, <laughs> and then, but yeah, Shape of Water is just such a surprising film for it to win. I'm, I'm, re- I'm actually shocked by its win. I'm not. I'm. I'm I'm just glad that three billboards didn't win. That's mostly yeah. Like, me they, too. Can, they can pick anything after <laughs> yeah, that. that it would have been fine for me. Movie. Um, I like there's this Oscar effect and specifically like a Best Picture effect, where yeah. a movie wins Best Picture and all of a sudden it's put under a microscope and people are worried about you know like oh is this actually the Best Picture? This should have won. This is clearly a big show. That is what's happening with it. And that's exactly that's what happens yeah. with all these movies, especially when it's a smaller movie. I'm, Did it happen to Moonlight? Because I don't feel like I got that impression afterward. I mean, it, it's because they had the weird switch up thing. I think that that was, but. Uh, I, yeah. didn't f- I feel like most people were relieved that Moonlight won over La La Land, and that's just the impression I got after last year. Yeah, I think because they got it right. <laughs> I yeah. think that that might be it. Like, Moonlight probably was the best People movie. were also talking about how last year was more top-heavy in the awards, because Moonlight and La La Land were the only real, like, choices yeah. that were realistic. Uh, whereas this year, it, f- it seemed a lot more flat. There were a lot more movies <clears throat> that got people's attention that could potentially be Best Picture winners. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I yeah, I thought that's 2017 accurate. was a good year for movies. So. Yeah, I mean, I think that every year, though. So One, <laughs> one criticism <laughs> them seeing of Shape of Water that I wasn't aware of when I, we first spoke about it a few weeks ago, um, The I'm, I'm seeing a lot of disabled activists kind of coming out against yeah. the movie that um, mm-hmm. the main character, played by Sally Hawkins, yes. right? That's her name. Um, is not disabled and yes. is playing a disabled person. Which is very common in film, but doesn't have to be. And I think their point is valid. And yeah, and it probably, is probably not being said loud enough that uh, you know they disabled people feel like they're being left out. And then they, they are. Yeah, <laughs> well, well, and they so, get the representation in this movie, right? That's the that's right, important it's not as well. That is important, but there are so few opportunities for a deaf actor uh-huh. in Hollywood, especially a deaf actor to play a deaf character. Um, or like, what about comparing that to uh, straight actors playing gay roles, right? That happens a lot as well. Yeah, and I think that there's grounds to to critique that as also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like, it, I mean, it's it's this is a very extreme example, but this was really uh, like logically speaking, the same critique of of blackface, right? I mm-hmm. mean, on top of the minstrel show and all the racism, but it's also taking roles away from mm-hmm. black actors who need work. Yeah, I've, and, I've heard the term um, cripping up uh, okay. that disabled people use for oh. saying that, like, yeah, yeah, you get cripped up. Yeah, <laughs> isn't short for cripple. Yeah, and okay. they also have a good point that, like, when, so say, for instance, uh, I forget who wrote this, but Someone was writing about how they like they spent millions of dollars to make Captain America appear like frail, scrawny, and, and, yeah. and scrawny and thin for like the half half of the first like Captain America, oh, like the first a very good portion. Okay, okay. Uh, same thing with Lieutenant Dan and, and Forrest Gump. They mm-hmm. spent a lot of money at the time, like hiding his legs yeah. in the film uh, when he loses them. And so the point that they're making is like if if we're willing to spend the money. It's possible to do the opposite. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. like you can have a person who's lost their legs play someone with legs. Now it's you know <laughs> this is this is movie magic, right? Yep. And you so, can do anything, right? So by having that not cross our minds, I think that's a a, a loss, and hopefully something that changes. Yeah, no, I I agree, and uh, I'm waiting for the um, articles talking about the cat. <laughs> oh, this movie literally kills the cat, and um, in a I, very horrific manner. It, yeah, and yeah. it's bloody and very explicit. Victorian. Yeah. Um, so I, I, uh, I imagine there, if there isn't already, there will be a backlash about the the cat, <laughs> since there's space to talk about it now. 
Uh, my theory is that this movie won because it was the only movie that had a scene about the power of cinema. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's they, something they, they love, really care about. Do not that. consider that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that that is uh, literally a factor uh, that yeah. they consider. Yeah. Um, so I think that that was at play here. Well, I'm glad three billboards won, didn't win, and I was concerned the post was going to win. I, I mean, I like that's the fallback. That's been delayed. So yeah, I mean, I think the post would have been the safest decision, right? Uh -huh. Well, so what's interesting about Oscar voting, and there's a Vox article about this today, yeah. is that they use rank choice voting, <clears throat> and so you can actually just say like whatever your favorite film is out of the bunch, and you that like rank choice voting like protects you in yeah. that, in that scenario. Yeah. yeah, which is how you end yeah. up with so many, I think, middle-of-the-road movies winning, right? Possible. Yeah, yeah. because it's, I mean, if that guy's favorite movie is Shape of Water, that guy's favorite movie is Lady Bird, that guy's favorite movie is Call Me By Your Name, but they all kind of like Shape of Water and put it at number two or three, yeah. Shape of Water ends up, out the yeah, that end, ends up as the win, even though it's nobody's favorite. So what did you guys want to win Best Picture? I So I like Shape of Water, but I, I wouldn't, I, I didn't think it was going to win, so I, yeah. I said, Dunker, because that. But, but what did I mean? If you get the vote, if you're king of the Oscars, yeah. I mean, there's a difference between what you think will or can yeah. win and what you think should win. Right? I mean, it for me, it kind of. I probably would have chosen Shape of Water off of this list. I, I didn't see Call Me and Lady Bird though, so okay. that that might have changed my mind. Although seeing Get Out winning would have been great too. Yeah, for, I, so you probably me, wanted Get Out to win the most then. I, I I'd be like okay. on the fence between the two. Okay. I, yeah. I think if you're, I pick, think Shape of Water is cute, and I, I liked yeah, it a lot. Yeah. So. If you're picking, your, if the purpose of Best Picture is like pick your favorite movie that you liked watching the most this year, for me it was Call Me by Your Name. Um, if you're picking the movie that's most significant and most emblematic and will be remembered years from now and talked about, it's obviously Get Out. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah, like yeah, slam yeah. dunk, it's Get Out, right? Like yeah. that, that's by a wide margin the most important movie that came out this year. It's going to be the most widely watched movie that for ten years from now people are still going to be watching that. Are we still going to be watching Shape of Water here and there, but well, not as much as Get Out? One thing, I, this by by Shape of Water being the best picture, I think it's interesting because it, it kind of cements Del Toro as like. You know, he's a, a legit film mm -hmm. creator, and he makes really dumb films sometimes. <laughs> yeah. that, that's a that's something that the Academy is going to have to kind of deal with. Like yeah. that now, do we raise Pacific Rim? You know, higher. Like he's made serious films in the past. Yes, uh, Pan's Pacific Rim is great. Yeah, yeah. I, I love Pacific Rim. It's one of my favorite it's, films. Yeah, but it's but, not you know a, a best picture nominee. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah, but it's great. And. Um, you know the Hellboy movies, which yeah. are kind of B movies, yeah. like so. To you know, and his even his past film, like he's a B, he's a B movie maker, and yeah, I don't know. And now he's like one of the most imaginative directors out there. So yeah, uh, well, I, and, I, uh, I, I think I mean, it's a lot of these movies are elevated thing. because of his vision, right? I mean, that's one of the reasons Pacific Rim was so great. Yeah, and totally. one of the reasons I'm a little worried about the sequel because he wasn't involved with that mm -hmm. one. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, what a what a loss, right? Because he was supposed to do The Hobbit, and oh. and then because of contract negotiations and a giant lawsuit, he wasn't able to. Yeah, can you imagine? And what a great Hobbit that would have been. Got so much better probably, than the yeah. bullshit that we got. It's yep. it's probably on the order of loss of the 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 Dune yeah. back in the day. Like oh, seriously, um, but we'll never know. We never so. will. But speaking of the best director Oscar, we now have what four of the last five have been won by Mexican mm -hmm. filmmakers, because we have Inarritu winning twice. We yeah. have Del Toro. Del Toro and Coron winning for Gravity, and 
that is to the Academy's credit. Yeah, like that, that is notable. I forget who the number five mixed in there is, but he was not Mexican, whoever <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, but still, that that is that is something, and they're all in the canon at this point, really. Like, they're all just part of the, the filmmakers you need to watch, even though one of them is in Naratu, and he's fucking garbage. <laughs> fuck all of his movies. <laughs> Cannot stand that guy. Um, we should move on to one of the other categories. Um, Old Man Winning for Darkest Hour. The only Best uh, Picture uh, nominee I did not see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He, um, great Vox article out today about how he's accused of domestic violence. I heard about this. Yes. And also... Nice. Um, Winston Churchill, terrible person. Yep. Can we get over Winston Churchill? <laughs> and uh, do we need two Dunkirk movies in in one year? Yeah, one of which was obviously much. One was a made-for-TV movie, and one was like <laughs> yeah. I mean, I an didn't actual see, film. I didn't see Darkest Hour, but it does not move me at all. It, it, it reads as like a lifetime movie at best. Yeah. yeah. It looked like it had some interesting cinematography from the clips I saw during the Oscars, but I haven't really had any interest in seeing it. What's What's the family that Eddie Murphy played? The Clumps. Clumps. He looks like a, the the white cousin for the someone on Twitter was joking that this is the white version of the clumps. <laughs> well, they won the Oscar for makeup too. Yeah, exactly. God, what are you yeah, gonna do? Exactly. It's ridiculous. Um, I think DDL should have won there. You think the Oscar is or, just like uh, a lifetime Kalina. achievement award for Gary Oldman? Pretty much. Yes, yeah. it absolutely is. Um, and you know, frankly, he. He's might, a great actor. He might deserve one. He's never gotten one. He's yeah. played all sorts of like smaller roles. Yeah, so. but it's annoying when they have the whole like cascading, like they forgot to award yep. for someone. DiCaprio. Then other people yeah, are yeah, not Brevin being awarded sucks. because they have to do this. And so you're not awarding. It's well, a, I mean, I, eventually I had, you have to skip somebody. Yeah. Right. And it was Kubrick. And they they fell into that trap again. I think um, Daniel Kaluuya. I'm not sure. I'm not sure how to pronounce his last name. What a nuanced performance, though, so in Get Out. I rewatched it. I rewatched Get Out a couple weeks ago because it's on streaming now. Um, and yeah, he is. It's the kind of performance that never gets accolades, but is actually so challenging and yeah. so subtle. And yeah, yeah he, he he's not going to get nearly as much recognition as he deserves for that. Yeah. And you could see the same kind of stuff and the same talent in the much smaller and more narrow role in Black Panther. Right, like when he is yes. when he approaches T'Challa and which I saw, good work. <laughs> when he approaches T'Challa and says that he asks what happened to Claw, you see excitement, you see disappointment, you see anger, you see all of this like in a couple lines in a few moments, and and then he walks away. It would have been so easy to deliver like that line flat and then angry and then leave. <laughs> right, yeah. and that's not what he does, and that, and you see that in in Get Out too, like all of these modulating emotions just without any lines at all, or just mm. two or three, and it's that kind of like small performance that they're not going to pick up on. Uh, we'll probably need to get around to seeing that one. Yeah, you, you certainly. I got to get out there. Streams, nah. <laughs> it's still showing in like one theater. Oh, I just really? worry that it'd be. Well, they brought it back for yeah. the awards. Yeah, that's maybe true. that's the only reason it's there. Um, Francis McDormand won for three billboards. Not at least shocked. That was the, uh, the easiest and prediction of like the night. Yeah. Um, the movie's terrible. She was good in it. I think that performance is really good. Yeah, um, I mean, I'm really glad that but the movie's screwed it's, up. It's, it's, it's like yeah, a fuck that movie. pathological movie. Right? <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, it's an evil movie. Um, fuck you three you didn't see Three Billboards. I did not. Okay. No, yeah. you yeah. you guys have made me really not so want to see it. <laughs> um, unfortunately, Sam Rockwell also won for the same movie. Yep. Over Woody Harrelson, which I think is a better choice if you're going to choose that movie. It, uh, it, it depends how much of a curve you want to grade, grade yeah. on because he had the harder job because his character was so poorly written. 
Yes. Harrelson <laughs> or Rockwell? Uh, well, both of them. Bone Rockwell was even worse. And uh, well, I always hear that despite the writing or whatever, the, that they had great performances still which in is the movie. True. That's true. They, they did. No. Um, and I think that Rockwell had the harder job, but that's not how we should be handing out awards, right? Like, yeah. That's, that's no standard. I, I would have liked to have seen Defoe win here, or Richard I, Jenkins in The Shape of Water, who was very, very good at I really liked his character in Shape of Water. What a great turn for... Uh, yeah, for, yeah. For me, it's Defoe. Like, he yeah. held that movie together. He was just such a... It, like a paternal force without being condescending, mm-hmm. right? Like, and he was balancing all these competing objectives. Like, he, I, I loved him in that movie. Um, I also thought Octavia Spencer got overlooked for supporting actress yes. in Shape of Water. He, I mean, um, she did a lot of work playing off a deaf character. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, yeah, she carried Tilly yeah. Hawkins kind of. There. But that's another one that was very easy to predict. We knew it was going to be Allison Janney. Yeah. Um, okay. Why did we know it was going to be Allison Janney? I didn't she, see Itonia, so. She got a lot of buzz. She was, I mean, it was the kind of performance where she's just like, you know, swearing a lot and chewing up the scenery, and she's like this sure. old lady that's kind of a badass. And it's like, yeah, yeah of course that's going to win. Okay. Um, Most you, of the buzz I heard was around Laurie Metcalf and Lady Bird, who I was very impressed by. I was too. I thought I liked her more than than Janney, because um, Lady Bird's a better movie than Itonia. But uh, yeah, yeah I, I would have rather seen her win. I agree. Um, yeah. I'm going to skip to documentary. Um, Icarus one. I saw this. It's available on Netflix and highly recommend it. It's an amazing story. Actually, I, I think this is. I don't know. What. Maybe the luckiest documentary maker of all time. So like. <laughs> This guy, it's about this guy who, he, he's like a semi-pro um, cycling racer, <coughs> and he's also a documentary filmmaker. He decides to try and dope and see if he can mm-hmm. do better and then do a documentary about it. Right. It turns out that the Russian doctor he hooked up with is a guy who is the guy, he's like the the person that ran the entire Olympic doping program oh, for man, nice. Russia. and. The reason that the Russians didn't compete, or as as, as a country, is because of this guy, because he admitted everything and like turned the evidence over to the IOC. And like a, this like guy just ha- this guy just like happened to be there at the correct moment, making this documentary, That's and it's, it's an amazing story. That's kind of a big spoiler for the documentary, but about halfway through, this turn happens where it's like no longer about this guy trying to dope and about how it like becomes this like international espionage thriller essentially. Holy shit. But real life story. It yeah. sounds like tickled. Did you see tickled? Uh yes. I heard it was I haven't seen it. I heard it's crazy. Though. Okay, so yeah, yeah, same kind of thing where like they yeah. happen upon like this story yeah. while shooting a documentary. I won't say anything else about it, but go watch it because it's fucking wild. Yeah. Um I saw th- Three of five of the best foreign language films. Um, I actually saw Fantastic Woman the day before the Oscars. <laughs> so yeah. that was just in time. And it was great. It was really good. Okay. Um, I I think it's close. The Square is a weirder movie, which is the other one that I saw. The Square, The Insult, and Fantastic Woman. The yeah. Square is a much more challenging movie. I think I like the guy's earlier movie better. Um, Force Majeure, if anybody saw that one. Nope. Uh, Force Majeure is phenomenal. Edging by here is really good. Yeah, two or three years ago, um, really excellent critique of like the masculinity and the role it plays in a family dynamic. Um, But Fantastic Women just it is carried by an unbeatable central performance um, by a a trans woman playing a trans woman, Mm -hmm. um, which is nice to see. Uh, So yeah, Yeah. really excellent. Not going to argue with that one. Coco, no surprise. Uh, Pixar continues to clean up. Really disappointed. I was happy to. I was happy to see Deacons get his Oscar. Yeah, yeah. He, I, I looked at his IMDb yeah. after that, and like, you forget how much work he's done. 
not just that he, he's obviously been involved in so many great movies, but he's been involved in so many movies. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he has a long. I mean, this was career. his like thirteenth nomination. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. he could have won for any of them, I'm sure, yeah. and it would have been justified. And this one's not even one of those like gimme like lifetime achievement ones. Yeah, like, he earned Blade it. Runner was incredible. It was gorgeous. In, 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 this is for visual effects or for cinematography. They also yeah. Blade won Runner for visual effects. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, Get Out won best screenplay. I don't argue with that. I th- that's an obvious it. choice. Um, yeah, so they, Shape of they Water, Freedom of Words, Big Sick, and Lady Bird. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, hey. Kumail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked Big Sick, but... Um, Give it to the other POC. Yeah. But yeah, that one is uh, is for sure the, the right call. Um, my biggest disappointment with the Kobe Bryant sh- animated <laughs> short <laughs> one. You spent some time shading on it earlier. Um, <laughs> I thought for sure the Pixar one would have won. Because it's Even Pixar. though it's like mediocre for a Pixar film. Right. Um, should have called it the the Kobe one one because they're all in L A. They're all in L A. Yep. They're all Kobe Kobe <laughs> yeah. fans. Seriously, um, to be fair to the Co- Kobe one, it is beautifully animated. It has this great hand drawn style. It is garbage. Yeah, uh, it is a Nike commercial. The, the Ringer tweeted today they had yeah. um, the the shot chart for Kobe Bryant next yeah. to the shot chart for Leonardo DiCaprio. No, 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 I saw <laughs> it was that. like yeah. Leo one for six, Kobe one, one for one. one. <laughs> yeah. Got uh, and a strong start to Kobe Productions, yeah. which was audibly laughed at when they sh- <laughs> when they said that. Who's laughing now? Yeah. <laughs> Still us. Uh, yeah, yeah, apparently. Yeah, that movie, that was a garbage animated film. They're way better animated shorts. All, every single other animated short except one was better. Yeah. So, um, I think my, the, the one I would change um, outside of like the big ones, I think was uh, visual effects that Andy Serkis was never recognized for Caesar in the Planet of the oh, Eighth yeah. movies over the course of three movies is a crime. Like he was phenomenal. He was never nominated. He was never nominated. No, he was nominated, but he, he should have won. Like oh, no, okay. that movie should have won just yeah. as acknowledging what he did. Um, just mm. a, uh, it, doing something really that an actor has never done before and a studio has never done before. I, I was a big fan of, especially the most recent movie. I thought it was really good. Hmm. Um, and just throughout Andy Serkis specifically was phenomenal. So I, I wanted to see him what get more recognition. What did he do in this one that was different? Because I feel like he's done the whole like motion capture face thing a the, lot. The, the tech is better. Okay. Right. Like it's better than Gollum. Yeah. And he and you can tell like you can you can identify more precise emotions on the on the, the monkey's face uh, this time around, and it works. It really does work. And um, I think that he should have gotten more uh, recognition for doing something really that we have not seen before. Yeah, he was um, really good in Black Panther. He was. So it's nice to see him in live action as well. Yes. He's, yeah. He's actually like a, an incredible actor. Probably one of the yeah. best working. He was briefly right? in uh, Age of Ultron as well, right? Same character. No, I don't think so. Claw is a, a Black Panther-specific Marvel villain. I uh, thought he showed up in like the wreckage of the boat briefly uh, in Age of Ultron, and Ultron like takes off his arm. Oh, oh, maybe. Okay. I, Age of Ultron is uh, an also-ran Marvel movie, so I'm, I'm not sure. I, I did not like that movie. So I, didn't. Well, I didn't like it that much either. I just vaguely remember that... Circus was also in that one. Okay, I, I, you sound much more confident about this than I am, so <laughs> I, I believe you. <laughs> um, cool. Any like closing thoughts on the Oscars? Uh, I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it. I, know, I, haven't, I haven't watched Charles. the Oscars since. It sounds I, like you I do it. usually watch the Oscars. Actually, despite yeah. watching fewer of the nominees than you guys do usually, although this was the most Best Picture nominees I've probably ever seen in a year. You're welcome. Because uh, I saw, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I, mean, that's, <laughs> I, I saw like Dunkirk, thing. Lady Bird, Call Me by Your Name. 
okay. Shape of Water. These are movies I normally wouldn't bother seeing, but I, I hear lots of great things about them from you guys, and it makes me want to go out and see them. So, Are you glad you did? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. I think it's easier in New York to see these Definitely. films. Yeah, that's true. Um, they you get opportunities here. to re rewatch them close to the Oscars as well for ones that are older. Yeah, there's a theater replaying Get Out, so yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, there it's are just easier. in larger cities, like not not even as large as New York. They'll the little theaters where they'll just sell like a day long ticket to watch every single one of them, yeah. or like a weekend long ticket or something. Yeah, I saw one theater offering a 24 hour Oscar marathon. I'm like, geez, who's yeah. gonna do that? It might literally be 24 hours. <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm like, wow, no. Yeah, yeah no, thank you. Um, but yeah, for me, I thought this was actually a great year for movies. I do say that every year, but this one also. I don't. <laughs> yeah. You, you don't. Yeah, no, you don't. You're much more pessimistic than I am. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I thought this year was really good. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to keep I, watching Call Me By Your Name. Same by my choice not to watch the Oscars. Um, oh, yeah. Definitely. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway, wait, you, so wait, did you or did you not watch the Oscars? I yes. did watch the Oscars. I almost always do. Was it worth it? it? I mean, it's it's the normal Oscars. So if you don't like what that is, then you're not missing anything. Oh, I heard it was like, really boring and long. Wasn't it longer than yeah. usual? Uh, All it was six pretty hours. long. Okay. Yeah, um, but <laughs> I enjoy the presentation. I enjoy the presentation. No, <laughs> I enjoy the presentations. Uh, I like the like. I guess they're not very. The, the, the random comedian jokes, I like those, you know. The, the, the Kimmel's actually funny. Yeah, so. he's improved yeah. in recent years, too. They're, I mean, the yeah. jokes are kind of predictable, but I enjoy them nonetheless. Um, the thing where they went to the theater across the street was a bit of a waste of time, but the people in that theater were probably having a great time. I don't even know what that is. Oh, they did a thing where they're like, we're going to thank the movie viewers. So they oh, had people okay. in a theater across the street watching an early screening of Wrinkle in Time. Oh, and that's they had a, a stolen bit from when Chris Rock hosted. Yeah. Because Chris Rock would go to, like, you know, black movie theaters and talk to people about yeah. the the Best Picture nominations. Okay. <laughs> and, like, no one that he talked to, like, had heard of any of the films that were I see. nominated. <laughs> that's pretty good. But, yeah, yeah they, they had a bunch of the stars like Guillermo del Toro went over and some of the act okay. actors and actresses they went over into the theater and like handed out food and talked right. to people. Wow, neat. Yeah, it was kind of boring to see on screen but it must have been really awesome to be in that theater. I want to see her in club time. So, there's that. Um, anyway, uh, your pick next, Crossman. What are we what are we watching next week? Yeah, um, this one's a doozy. I, I would like to do okay. uh, Godfather 2. Yes. All right. For yeah, a, a right. very long time, I cited this as my favorite movie of all time. If I rewatch it again, Ooh. it might become that again. Um, I love this Wait, movie. what's your favorite movie of all time Apocalypse right now. now. Okay. But if I watch Godfather 2 again, it so may... So just the most recent one you've seen. Of those two. <laughs> yes. Um, I love this movie. I love this movie. So thank you. I, I've been thinking about rewatching it. Sure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and thank you, audience, for uh, listening. Um, if you like the show, please share it with your friends. Uh, please comment and please like us on the appropriate media. And we'll see you next week for Godfather 2.